Welcome to the Venue Solutions Podcast, where we talk about everything data center, information technology, cybersecurity, and more. I'm William, Venue's data center sales engineer and one of your hosts. Hi, I'm Eric Malatesta, Venue Data Center Infrastructure Manager and also one of your hosts. And I'm Michael Faisley, Venue's Network Infrastructure Manager and Cybersecurity Specialist. And I'm also one of your hosts. This is Venue Podcast number 89 for Friday, March 24th, 2023. In this cybersecurity-focused podcast, Eric, Michael, and I take a deeper dive into Cyber Threat Intelligence, or CTI, all this and more in the next Venue Podcast. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Venue or any guest's employer. Hey, guys. How's it going today? Hey, hey Will. Will. Hey, good Michael. Good to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good, 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 to, good to be back. But we, we wanted to come back with part two of our cybersecurity um, extravaganza, right? Yeah, I think it was important that we, we, we start we film pretty quickly together. The ideas are fresh in our minds. Yeah. And again, exactly. it's, it's a threat series, right? We, we first talked about threat hunting, and then we talked about the relationship between threat hunting and CTI. And we referenced CTI so much in that first one. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Get that out there so our listeners can talk, can listen to the one on threat hunting and then immediately listen to the one on CTI and hopefully all of those concepts really gel and they get a good understanding or exactly. at least a base understanding of it. Yeah. So, and, and if you've hit on this podcast and you're like, what are these guys talking about? Go back to podcast number 88 and listen to that one. I think that's a really good one that um, kind of gets you ready for, for what we're talking about today. It says all the definitions in place, if nothing else. All these damn acronyms. <laughs> TTP, <laughs> CTI. All right. TTP. So what it, it, it is, I mean, Technology by itself is is pretty acronym heavy, right? Um, I, I, I find talking about um, like threats and CTI, it's, it's like acronym overload. It's like every, you can almost like talk full sentences in acronyms. Yeah. Uh, there, there's so many. Well, I think that's just in IT in general. I mean, even with virtualization and cloud, I mean, there's still a lot of, a lot of, um, acronyms in the in the works right yeah sure sure so let's talk about today's topic cyber threat intelligence or cti yeah michael you want to start us off yeah sure so like we talked about on podcast 88 cti is an intrinsic piece of threat hunting right so we're going to talk about that a little bit more today and before we get into types of CTI frameworks and models and, and all of that good stuff and, and really why we do it in the first place, um, I think it's important to pause and, and kind of, okay, well, how did we get here, right? And like with most anything, there's, there's, a, there's a beginning, right? Or like with everything, there's a beginning. And CTI really can't exist without intelligence when you think of it in the traditional sense. So think about CIA, military, and stuff like that, like traditional forms of intelligence. CTI is basically a marriage of traditional intelligence with cybersecurity, right? You're, you're combining those two, right? So you're combining cybersecurity concepts with 
a lot of um, concepts that are that are found in, in traditional forms of intelligence. Um, so it's it's really cool. It's kind of a different way. Um, you know, if you're um, coming from a traditional IT background, it's it's a kind of new way to to think about things. And and I think both of you can attest to that because this is kind of a new concept for you guys. So when we first started talking about doing this podcast and I came up with the show notes and sent you guys some links and stuff to read up on, um, a lot of it was maybe kind of new and inventive, right? Sure. So, so I mean, the initial threat hunting piece was pretty obvious, right? Okay. I, I understand what this is and yeah. I know who, I know what we're doing here. I get all the concepts and they're intrinsic into my life anyway. I, I, I think of security and I think of looking for ways of, of circumventing and preventing the, the, the threat actors from getting into my system by default, right? So that's how we've thought for years, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it came to this, this, blending of ideas and it's kind of merging and, and overlapping of, of ideas with, with um, intelligence as we're calling it. I started getting like, you know, Hey, there's some weird concepts and, and things that are going on in here that, that I think a lot of our audience probably is not even aware of. Right. And, and, and yeah. these are, there are things out there that, that can be used today Um and that we should be using today that were new to me, obviously. And the idea that it, that some of these things are intrinsically beginning in, in, in stuff like the CIA or military, where we have these people that are all they're trying to do is analyze threats to our environment, right? Whether it's you know someone coming in to bomb us, whether it's someone coming in to to steal from the ports or whatever. The same kind of idea of having having an intelligence and a, a base knowledge of what's going on in the world uh, definitely, you know, moves and migrates right into our environment where what we're trying to do is is, and, and I'm I'm going to simplify it like I did earlier uh, with threat hunting, but you know, it's basically just having an idea and a, a breadth of knowledge about the world uh, and what's going on with the threat actors. So that we can therefore say these are the things we want to look for in our own environments. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of these, a lot of what we're doing when we start talking about cybersecurity really goes back to, I mean, the the, the 60s, 70s, 80s, and so on. But when we start talking about threat, cyber threat intelligence and hunting, what we're doing, I think, is really just building the language that helps us more easily identify the problems, right? Um, we've always had people try to, you know, infect a system or break into a system to get data out or put data in a system, right? That, that's always Or just been, to prove they can do it. Or to prove they can do it, right? That's always yeah. been the problem, right? That's always been the challenge, right? We were talking earlier before the last podcast about, uh, you know, the, the movie Hackers, right? And, and yeah, how, how that was back in the, you know, the 80s and 90s, uh, rather, <clears throat> that, that, things like that were going on. But I think with today's world, this definitely, the the framework of cyber threat intelligence gives us a more easy way to better identify what the problems are and the approaches to to finding, um, you know, vulnerabilities in our system, reporting them. Um, And it's definitely gotten more sophisticated as of late. So having this framework helps. 
And and I think one thing that's <clears throat> important to point out before we get into, you know, again, types of CTI and, and frameworks and all of that, mm-hmm. the the intent of these these podcasts are really just to introduce our listeners to these concepts. You're not going to become an expert in this. Um, I mean, we could spend hours and hours on each framework um, by themselves. It's really just to kind of introduce you to these concepts and, and get you thinking about it. Yeah. Get you get to take this home to your own environment and say, Hey, what could I be doing? As we said earlier, you know, you have to start somewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And, and you, you know, you can't run a marathon if you don't know how to crawl, you don't know how to walk, you don't know how to jog. Right. So you got to start somewhere. Yeah. So, so this is the, these podcast series are really just to introduce you to these ideas, some of the tools and some of the, the obvious um, attacker type threats out there so that when you get back to your environment, you can say to yourself, Hey, have I even scanned my external network to see what ports are open? And then you find out, oh, port 443 is open to this web server. I thought we decommissioned that guy. Yeah. Right. So so this is just to get you thinking like that, right? So, so all these things are doing. And 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 CTI, and 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 Michael had mentioned this earlier, it's 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 much more than just subscribing to a feed or mm-hmm. downloading, you know, yeah, a white paper that talks about 15 vulnerabilities in ESXi 5.5, right? It's, it's much more than that, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a six phase life cycle, right? That allows you to produce actionable information to then take, take said action on, on, on your network to, to hopefully protect yourself. Right. Um, so let's get into some of the types of CTI and, and hopefully that'll start allowing our listeners to maybe um, kind of grasp these concepts a little bit better. And then once we talk about that, we'll get into the frameworks and, and hopefully everything will be a little bit more cohesive as we talk. So there's three types. Um, I'll list them out first and then we'll, we'll go ahead and, and break them down. But there's tactical, there's operational, and there's strategic. And those are the three different types of um, CTI that exist, right? <clears throat> Talking about tactical first, this one is highly detailed information. When you're thinking about this, think um, IP addresses, domains, hashes, IOCs, right? And these are consumed by your SecOps or your security operations teams and your incident response teams. <clears throat> That's where this this type of CTI information is going to be consumed it, and used. And these things might actually come from a feed, right? Or a subscription of some kind to, or a, a uh, or, or owning a, a next gen firewall that that downloads uh, updates this kind of stuff on a regular basis. Can, can that is that is that true? Yeah, um, it gets a little bit in, into some some additional concepts that we'll, we we may talk about in a, uh, a in, in another podcast. Yeah, um, because they're they're a little bit advanced, right? It's trying to verify your sources, right? You just don't want to accept anything at face value, right? Mm-hmm. You see some 
website or something that says, oh, they, these IPs are bad, go, go block them. You don't want to take things like that at face value. So um, you need to understand where this data is actually coming from and then choose to kind of accept it or, or, or decline. Is this good information or is this bad information? Because ultimately the information that, or the intel, right? We're, we're talking about uh, cyber threat intelligence here. The intel that is coming in the form of these IP addresses and hashes and domain names, you need to decide whether or not it's credible, right? So source of that intel is very, very important. So that's tactical, operational. This type of intelligence focuses on um, really the, the TTPs or tactics, techniques, and procedures that your threat hunter or your IR teams can put together to really help your SOC or your vulnerability management teams do their day-to-day operations. So like Eric had talked about in, in the last podcast on threat hunting and, and like he's talked about a little bit now, um, you're, you're taking this information and utilizing it to make your network safer, right? So you're, you're taking <clears throat> some of this um, intelligence that comes in the form of TTPs mm-hmm. and you're taking it to your internal teams, like your your security operations teams, your vulnerability management teams, and allowing them to make decisions to make your network uh, more secure, right? So, hey, we have this exploit. It needs, uh, sorry, this vulnerability that can be exploited. It needs to be patched. Let's let's go ahead and patch that vulnerability management team. What about things like open ports? Hey, we've we've discovered that this port's open on your server, and maybe, maybe you're yep. not. Maybe it's not answering. Maybe it's not. You know, you don't have a service behind it saying, "Yep, yep that's me. I'm I'm here." Uh, but maybe it's open, right? Which could mean, hey, you know what? That that maybe that service is not running right now, but at some point in time, someone can turn on the service that port's already open. So understanding kind of what you know, range of ports are open to the system, whether they're answering or not, having that understanding is, is good for people to understand. And I think that goes into the operational bucket, right? Yeah. And then the final one is strategic. And this one <clears throat> operates at a much higher level of the organization, right? So think your your C-suite, your executives. It helps them frame threats in the idea of, or, or sorry, the context of your business, right? What, what types of um, threat actors are trying to gain access to assets that we have on the network? What could they do? Should they gain access and exfiltrate that data, right? Do we have any type of trade secrets that should somebody get a hold of that, that would be detrimental to the organization. Mm-hmm. Downtime, right? What what happens if a threat actor gets into the network and they encrypt everything, right? And our backups are bad or we haven't tested, um, you know, done any We have a whole bo- podcast on that. <laughs> we do. <laughs> we do. Um, so... 
this is all stuff that's important to understand at, at the executive level of the organization. And that's, that's your, your strategic CTI. Um, so again, three different types, they all have their use cases and they're all important, but they're consumed by different members of the organization and, and not only consumed by, but those members of the organization take different actions based upon that Intel that comes in. Sure. Sure. Okay. So, so, so your tactical, tactical data and information might be used by your firewall cyber ops team at the, at the perimeters and internally between systems. Just, I know that, Hey, I have this application that runs It's accessed by this organization that's out of Oregon, uh, United States. Uh, so there's actually no need for anyone to connect to this application from anywhere else in the world. Maybe we block everything but Oregon or, or United States, just just out of out of practice, you know. Um, and then your operational is going to be more like saying, you know, hey, look, we ha- we have something going on, or we have these op- these these open things that are happening in our environment. Uh, how do they relate to each other, and can we block anything internally to, to help prevent for the future? Yeah, so to get to kind of expand on those examples and give some really pointed examples. Yeah, exactly. Tactical would be if you got some threat intel that was trustworthy, that there is a um, there's a threat actor out there that's targeting education industry, mm-hmm. and you're in the education industry. And not only that, but they're targeting schools in your state or institutions in your state or in your region. <clears throat> here's a list of IPs. Here's a list of domain names that were used in previous attacks. That tactical intelligence can be given to your um, security operations teams. They can implement blocks yeah. on your firewalls, right? That's a real basic example. From an operational perspective, Say that that threat actor likes to gain access using RDP. That information is given to your vulnerability management team and says, hey, do we have RDP open to the internet? Please no. <laughs> Please say no. <laughs> right, but it's, it's, it's a very basic example of that. So, so you're right. saying I, I, I cannot have RDP open to the internet because I want to manage my exchange and SQL servers from just anywhere I drive around to. You don't want me doing that? No, it's a bad idea. <laughs> no. Right. Or, or, or leaving your no. VMware, we need a virtual center server on the internet, right? Please yeah. no. Bad or idea. more, more complicated example of that is, um, they, they like to compromise, um, you know, accounts hosted in um, Microsoft Office 365, right? So then you can tell your SOC team that, and they can look for an alert on any suspicious activity going on with accounts in Office 365. Yeah, okay, cool. So back, back to, you know, hey – what do I see in my logs? Are, are, I'm getting a lot of denies uh, of, 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 of authentication to all my accounts in an office. Or is that not happening right now? And if it's not right. happening, great, but what can I do to make sure that I don't prevent it? Hey, everybody, we, we're aware of a, 
we're aware of a, a, a possible threat to office accounts, we would like to av- ask everybody to implement a new password, and then we should the password should be 32 characters, blah blah blah, right? So, or implement kind of, MFA or or yeah, MFA right. if you don't have an MFA, great, yeah, or password less, yeah, as we've had another podcast about as well. <laughs> yep. And then and then on the strategic side, the the, the last type of CTI, in in that kind of, again, specific example, a piece of intelligence could come in that triggers the executives to allocate resources, whether that's people or money, towards a way to uh, mitigate or or detect some type of uh, attack, right? Because that's really the responsibility of the executives here, right, is, is to decide do we and, and should we allocate resources to this to prevent this? Right. Okay. So, so, and so that's, that, that's an interesting piece because that goes to show you that, that cybersecurity in general has to be thought of at, at all layers of the company with all employees of the company. And we talked about this a little bit in the threat hunting, threat hunting when yeah. I said, you know, maybe, maybe everybody's job is, is to do threat hunting. Maybe there's not a team that just says, threat, maybe everybody does this, but, but if it's on the minds of everybody, including specifically, including the, the CEO, CFO, CTOs, these guys that are, that are putting down the money, you know, the CTO is going to say, hey, I have to have these t- technologies. I, these technologies are required for me to, for, to, to p- produce the business that you guys are asking me to produce. The CEO is telling me that I have to ha- produce this. The CFO on the other hand is saying, oh, you want to spend how much money to do this? Yeah. Right? So, so there's a, kind of a little dance there, I think. Buy-in from the top is paramount. Yeah. Paramount. Yeah. It's, it's not – none of this is going to work. If there's not buy-in at the top, it's it's just not going to work, right? Um, for example, we we talked about MFA a couple minutes ago. If, say, the director of uh, IT says, "I want to deploy MFA company-wide," but you have two people in the C-suite that say, "I don't want to be bothered with that." Mm-hmm. What are other members of the organization going to say when they see members of the C-suite saying they don't want to be bother- bothered with that, right? You've got to have that buy-in Yeah, you're only all as, members. You're only as successful as your weakest link. You Correct. Know? So, and it's a mindset everyone has to take from the, CT, from the CEO, CTO, all the way down to your network operations center people. And if I could make a public announcement here, if you are not using MFA of some kind today, please, please, please implement MFA. And if you're not sure what this is, a multi-form uh, authentication, multi-factor authentication, please reach out to one of the three of us. Our office will be happy to go over that with you. There are ways to do it for every system out there in the world there's an MFA option nowadays and, yeah. and it's, it's critical as much, as big as a password was critical in 1960 through 2010 MFA is that critical now. And eventually it'll be passwordless, but if you don't have it, please implement today. Yeah. And as being from sales engineering, I mean, I, I run into customers every, every, every week who I ask about, okay, well, is your office 365 protected by MFA or your, Citrix environment or remote desktop. 
um, or whatever. VP, you know, VPNs maybe, you know, yeah, you're going to have 2FA on VPN, but a lot of people, they go, eh, no, or, or we have it for some people, but not others. And it, it, it's so common to find that the CTO and the CFO, oh, okay, they get special permissions where they don't have to do 2FA. So, what is so, ugh. So yeah, right? it, it's, it's a culture change and you you just you have to adopt it because what is the alternative? The alternative is your company gets in deep doo-doo. And it's the same thing you said. So so MFA is only as strong as the weakest link. So if you, if the three of us have it and then our, our boss does not, we're 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 susceptible to our boss. Right. So MFA is something that that is required. And, and, and every system in the world is going to some some type of MFA because that is like it's almost like a ground level security measure that you can put in place with very little effort, with very little cost, and you can and it, it's a big deterrent. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. So so uh, so, so my service point. announcement out there. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> so Michael, um, you know, so. I, and, and like we do with all these podcasts, we, we bring up a subject. I say, yeah, I know a little bit about that. You know, we can talk about that subject, right? I mean, we're, we're in the IT world. We, we talk about these subjects in, off and on, be, you know, just with our clients, amongst ourselves, internally, as we're doing our own work. But as I started diving into uh, cyber threat intelligence, I started looking at all these frameworks for things, right? And, and, yeah. and then I started saying, ooh, this is – not this is all new to me this is not mm-hmm. this is not something that that are that i i've seen i mean sure i know a little bit about the ideas of these things when you read through them oh, okay that makes a little bit of sense but but it was all fairly new why don't you kind of kind of talk us through some of these frames and frameworks and models that we have out there sure and we're going to bring in some visual aids right to sure. hopefully tie in what we're talking about with something that that our audience can <clears throat> look at and be like oh okay Got it. Um, and there's, when you talk about CTI, there's really three big ones. Um, again, like with the uh, types of CTI, I'll list them out and then we'll, we'll kind of go through them one at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, first one is the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain. The second one is MITRE ATT&CK. And the third is uh, what's known as the diamond model. So, Will, if, if you wouldn't mind... Uh, yeah, let's bring up the, the first slide, and, which is... And I'm going I'm to yeah. interject real quickly. Um, if you're listening to us on our podcast via one of our audio channels, you can find us on YouTube as well, and you can see us this video, and we do have the slides presented in the in the YouTube video. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely... It'll be on YouTube, and then what I'll do is, is um, when we post the link to our website... That's where we'll host these slides. So if you're downloading it from like the Apple Apple Store or Google Play Store and you're just getting the audio, go to uh, the link that pulls us to the venue.com website and these slides will be on that link. Thank you, Will. Cool. So <clears throat> this known as, uh, it's, it's really the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain, sometimes just referred to as cyber kill chain or if, if people are being really lazy, they'll just say kill chain. Um, but this was developed by Lockheed Martin. And it's a seven-phase chain that defines attacks on a network and will show or help um, threat hunters or threat analysts understand 
how far the threat actor has gotten to their goal, right? And and we'll we'll cover each uh, phase of the chain uh, in in just a second. But um, there's seven, and then the kind of last one is what their goal is, right? So starting with the first one, it's the reconnaissance that, that the threat actor does. And think of this like um, anything that they can do uh, from uh, an OSINT or open source intelligence perspective. Um, An example of this could be just uh, finding a target company and let me go view employees uh, from that organization on LinkedIn, right? They say... Um, they want to perform some type of phishing attack. In the reconnaissance phase, they're going to try to determine employees that work at that organization, come up with those email addresses um, to to perform that attack. Mm-hmm. Phase two. Well, hey, in that reconnaissance phase. Yeah. So would you even include things like where they blast out an email to eric.malatesta at venuecom, emailatesta at venuecom, you know, uh, ericmalatesta at venue.com and see which ones respond with failures and which ones, you know, if you don't get a failure back, you assume that's a, a regular account, regular email address. Yeah, like ward dialing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think that that could be considered as a form of like, scanning, right? And scanning is a form of reconnaissance. Um, It's not something that I see very often, that that particular form where they they say, all right, I'm going to try email attest. I'm going to try eric.mail attest. I'm going to try all these different things. Mm -hmm. More than likely, they're going to find your email address through some other means, right? Where they don't have to sit there and guess. But you bring up a good point in that scanning is a method of reconnaissance, right? So it could just be as simple as a port scan. Okay. So that's reconnaissance. That's that's phase one. So if you see what's, you know, uh, what looks like a port scan on on your on your firewall from a certain IP or or a group of IPs and in, in one subnet tied tied to, you know, certain organization, you could say, oh. Okay, that's that's phase one of the cyber kill chain, right? They're they're trying to perform some type of reconnaissance. A lot of times, reconnaissance, you're not going to really know that it's happening because they're doing it through open source ways, right? They're pulling information from LinkedIn. They're pulling information from people's social media accounts, be it Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever. <clears throat> so moving on to phase two, this is what's known as the weaponization stage. Basically, what they're doing here is they are pairing a attack vector with an exploiter vulnerability, right? So on, on the screen here, they, they talk about coupling an exploit with a backdoor into uh, deliverable payload, right? So they're, they're finding out how they're going to do it. So 
So I know that Eric Malatesta at Vineyard.com is an email. So let me send him this this email with some kind of virus or, or exploit built into it, and requesting him to open it up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> here, do they do they want to go? Uh, we'll, we'll we'll take the kind of email uh, attack vector. Do they want to go attachment? Do they want to go malicious link? How how do they want to weaponize that? Yeah. Right. So that's phase two. And then phase three is kind of when you think about it, the next logical progression of this is the actual delivery of that. Right. It's your weaponized bundle. Step or phase two was weaponization. Step three or phase three is I'm actually sending that to the target whether that's via email, maybe a, a USB key, right? I, I put a bunch of malware on USB keys and I go uh, drop them at, at, a, at a conference or something and, and people pick up a USB key and take it back to their, their, uh, their office. So that's phase three. Phase four is <clears throat> the actual exploitation piece, right? So... They, they are exploiting the vulnerability so that they can do something after that, right? Phase five is installation, right? So they've already exploited the vulnerability. Now they want to install their malware on the system. Phase six is command and control, or sometimes referred to as C2. And that's where they want to establish some type of persistence with remote access. This will allow the threat actors to move laterally or manipulate the network in however they see fit. Seven, which is the final stage, is kind of action. It's called actions on objectives, right? Mm -hmm. So at that point, they can begin to exfiltrate, encrypt, destroy data, whatever their ultimate goal is. We talked about this a few times, but different threat actors have different goals. So <clears throat> whatever their goal is, that's that's kind of the actions on objectives. Or in, in this slide, it, this is taken directly from uh, the Lockheed Martin uh, cyber kill chain uh, kind of page hands-on keyboard access, right? That they're, they're going to start doing whatever they, they needed to to accomplish their goal. So that's kind of the, the cyber kill chain from, from a very high level. And again, the importance of this is to help threat actors understand when they find malicious activity, where is the threat actor? Are they... At what level of the chain? Are they yeah. are they in phase three? Did they deliver the email? Or are they at phase four or five where a user clicked on that malicious payload and that malware is now installed? Are they at phase six where now I'm seeing outbound communication from that, uh, that victim machine to a C2 IP? So it helps the, the, the threat hunters and really also 
internal security teams understand how far has the threat actor gotten. Yeah, I like I like it because it's it's a um, it's a very easily defined language for me to communicate with everybody in the office really quickly. Yeah. What where we are. Yeah. And I think once you once you've kind of gone through it and had a chance to look at it, it's it's very intuitive, or at least I find it a, to be a very intuitive like phase by phase model. It's a very um, ste- it's a very stepwise model yep. where you can literally easily know exactly where you're at at what time. Yeah. And I like this slide because it's it's very easy for someone who's not does maybe doesn't have a background a firm background in cybersecurity to look at this and go okay this makes sense. Sure, correct. So let's let's go ahead and move on. Uh, Will, can you go to slide two? Absolutely. So now we're going to talk about MITRE ATT&CK, and I have two slides. Again, we're not going to get crazy deep into this. We could do, you know, multiple hours. Really, you could do an entire class on MITRE ATT&CK. But um, I really just want to introduce it just so you have an idea of what it is. So MITRE ATT&CK is basically a knowledge base of adversary TTPs or tactics, techniques, and procedures. And it aligns threat actor groups with uh, TTPs and vice versa, and then also will show you mitigation and detection techniques that you can employ to uh, either mitigate or detect said techniques. So it's really, really cool. Well, I like about this is, is, is it, although it's very busy, this yeah. ties directly back to that Lockheed Martin one as well because the, Reconnaissance, the resource development, initial access, execution. This is the same same levels that we were just talking about in the chain a minute ago. And now what you're doing is you're taking those chains and you're saying, well, these are the ways, the techniques with yeah. which they would get the reconnaissance or, or the execute the, yeah. the delivered, as it was said in the last slide. So yes, it's very interesting. Yeah, the, it, and and that's that's kind of the cool thing with these three models that we're talking about here because they they do have a lot of parallels and should be used um, in conjunction with one another, right? Um, you you can augment your uh, your your CTI using multiple uh, frameworks and models, right? You don't have to pick, okay, I I can only use this one or I can only use this one. No, you you use all of them. So this kind of image right here, I I wanted to bring up not for everybody to sit there and kind of like eye chart read every every piece because I know it's small, but um, to kind of show your columns are your tactics. So reconnaissance Mm -hmm. is a tactic resource development is a tactic, initial access, and so on. And then you have techniques and sub-techniques found under each one of those. And when I took this screenshot, I purposefully expanded out the active scanning technique to show three sub-techniques of active scanning. So scanning IP blocks, vulnerability scanning, wordless scanning. Those are called sub-techniques of the active scanning technique. And all of these are kind of, uh, they're, they're links, right? So 
when you go to the Miter Attack website, and and we'll have links to all of this in in the show notes and the the um, on on the YouTube uh, post. Um, when you go to the the Miter Attack website, you can click on Active Scanning, click on Scanning IP Blocks. It'll take you to another page where it'll tell you more about that technique, and then tell you threat actors or groups that utilize that technique. Right. right? So really what cool it's stuff. doing is getting it's getting it's getting you to think like a hacker, right? And and then really start yeah. thinking about how do people, you know, on the other side of the fence, how are they coming at you? How are they attacking you? And having this knowledge makes it harder for an attacker or a bad actor to actually get into your system. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this directly talks back to when we start talking about when we were talking about um, threat hunting on the last podcast. This really expands upon that. Sure, because yeah. it's kind of linking together the the threat hunting and the the idea of threat intelligence and with the idea of what the attacker's end goal is. Right. So each technique is is an is an objective for a different goal, and sometimes the goals are layered. Right? So I want to do one particular goal to with which I can go execute a second goal to which I can eventually get something. One of the things we forget about when we talk about threat is, is we forget about the internal threat, right? And so sometimes the goal is not necessarily to gain access in, but it's to get access out, mm-hmm. right? So I want to take this data that I'm working on and I want to send it somewhere else in the world so that I can – sell this or or quit this job and move somewhere else and take this data with me right so there's there's multiple layers of threat here but these ideas of monitoring all these things and tying together the the hunt with the threat with the objective of the goal of the attacker is what these this matrix is kind of showing us yeah well can you hop to the next slide real quick sure so I, I picked this slide for, for two reasons. One, it's it's called Fox Kitten, and I, I, I really like cats. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's it's one of the, the threat actors or groups that's listed on the MITRE attack site. And I wanted to, to kind of demonstrate the level of detail that you get from this, right? So again, MITRE attack is built off of real-world attacks. These attacks have actually happened they were analyzed, and this was the uh, intelligence that was kind of pulled from that that uh, attack or, or those attacks. So in this particular slide, you'll see there are some associated groups um, with this, this threat actor group called Fox Kitten. Um, it tells you what industrial verticals they target. So in this case, they do oil and gas, they do technology, government, defense, kind of everybody. But in certain cases, you'll see very focused attacks by threat actor groups where they focus just on the financial industry, just on healthcare. And then as you move down the page, which we can't do here because it's just a static image, but you see the techniques that they use, the sub-techniques, and then underneath that, um, it just kind of, you know, continues go going down and down and down, but you can click on each technique 
and then it'll give you mitigation and detection um, you know capabilities to 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 employ to to block these techniques now can so, this, this is found on the miter website yes yeah so if you go to the miter website at the very top you can drill down into tactics or techniques you don't have to do it through the matrix um, that that we showed on the previous slide but there's also um, a link at the top called groups mm -hmm. so you can click on the group so if you know of a particular group that you've you've heard of that's maybe attacked a, a similar organization and you want to read more up on that group you can check to see if they're on the minor attack page Gotcha. Interesting. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. And then there's something called Miter Defend, which we're not going to get too too much into here, but I, I did want to mention it because it was created to help organizations deploy protection mechanisms for their network. So basically the flip side of Miter Attack. Okay. Uh, next slide, please. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to talk about the very aptly named Diamond Model. Uh, because it's it's a diamond, right? <laughs> so the purpose of the diamond model is to map adversaries, their capabilities, and infrastructure to a victim and to allow threat analysts to track this over time. And we'll we'll kind of break this down a little bit more and, and talk about the importance of it. So when you're talking about adversary, that's that's pretty obvious, right? That certain threat actor group. Um, capability, when you're talking about that, think types of malware that they use, types of tools that they use, types of exploits that they commonly go after. Even their skill sets, maybe. Yeah. When you talk about infrastructure, think IP addresses, domain names, of the like, right? And then victim, that's that's another obvious piece. But the importance for threat analysts here is not to do this in a in a snapshot of time, but to be able to track adversaries over time. Because again, all of this that we're talking about here is intelligence, right? So you want to understand if an adversary starts to evolve and change their capabilities or change sure. their infrastructure or start going after a different class of victim. That's a, I was going to bring that one up very, that's a, an obvious one to me, right? So if the adversary is always going after oil and gas, right, for some reason, right? Obviously, if I'm in the oil and gas environment, I'm going to want to know as much about this adversary as possible. However, if we start learning that the adversary has now pivoted, not just from oil and gas, but now they're into, you know, environmental work, right? I now have my entire oil and gas industry that has the knowledge of what this adversary has been doing, what they've been doing to try to, to, to block him to get that adversary to change their, their, their victims. And then I get to utilize that data with which to help protect myself. Yeah, and you'll know what. So, for instance, in a particular, uh, you know, particular industry, you'll know what common applications, servers, resources that particular industry uses. So, you're going to start targeting those first. 
Sure. Whether if you're in oil and gas, financial, whatever, you'll start saying, hey, you know, I'm going to go after this person. They're in the oil and gas industry. I know they're going to use XYZ application. Hmm, that gives me insight into what I'm going to attack. So kind of a sample exercise of, of how all of this works. Um, assume there's there's a victim, right? There's, there's some type of... Um, malware that they're hit with. We'll, we'll just use ransomware for, for our example. I can pull a hash from that. I can take that hash and then run it on VirusTotal. And if I get a hit, and, and we talked about VirusTotal as a tool on, on our last podcast about threat hunting. If I get a hit on it, more than likely I'm going to see IP addresses and domain names associated with that hash, um, maybe assume it's something novel, right, that doesn't show up on VirusTotal. If you can pull the malware from memory and run it inside a forensics machine, maybe you can pull IPs and um, domain names from strings. But regardless, if you're able to get that, which is kind of the infrastructure piece that we talked about, you can then use that to determine, hey, they use this type of malware, right? And you can, in some cases, link that back to a particular adversary. Interesting. So Diamond Model is pretty cool. Um, and and again, it it's not a snapshot in time thing. It's a uh, tool used by threat analysts to track adversaries over time to see, do they evolve? Do they stay stagnant and just have their kind of, I don't know, one trick pony, right? Their, mm-hmm. their, their single um, type of victim that, that they attack. Yeah. So how do we use all of these frameworks with, if, if, if we're, if we're in, in our threat hunting how do we use all this, this framework and, and, and or either maybe it's, maybe it's unstructured or structured or irrelevant, right? But how does this framework come into play for us as the, as the, the victim? Sure. So, so again, like I talked about, you're not choosing one model or another. You're, you're hopefully using multiple models. Um, the, Cyber kill chain is a little bit more, um, what's the word here? Uh, easily used across all organizations, mm-hmm. right? Because again, you're using the kill chain to understand where the threat actor is within their attack. Sure. That's almost, you know, that, that post piece, right? So now we're in that, that we're, we're something's happened. Something's happened, right. So it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a little bit more reactive. Um, having said that, you can use, and, and even on um, uh, Lockheed's uh, initial document about the kill chain, they have a matrix showing countermeasures that you can put in place for each phase of the kill chain Okay. to either detect or disrupt. Uh, so that's that's pretty cool. So you can use it. Um, as, as a means for proactive, but a lot of times you see it used 
in a, in a reactive sense. <clears throat> Minor attack. Um, again, this this can kind of straddle both sides, right? It can be on the proactive side. It can be on the reactive side. Um, so, for example, like if you have an incident response team, uh, you know, come in and and say something has happened, they're they're going to use uh, MITRE attack to kind of figure out what techniques, uh, sorry, tactics and techniques the the attacker used in in said attack. Um, but again, you can you can utilize that to, in a proactive sense, if you know what types of uh, threat actor groups are targeting you, you can research their tactics and techniques ahead of time and intelligently develop countermeasures to, to stop sure. them. Um, so what's the ultimate goal of all of these frameworks and models? And Will, can you go to the next slide? Sure. And the answer kind of more or less boils down to the pyramid of pain, which is kind of a cool name. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the pyramid of pain <clears throat> from bottom to top, it's basically showing, and, and it's it's six levels for, for those of you who are listening <clears throat> on, on a podcast and not watching this on YouTube, but it's six levels. And from bottom to top, it's hash values, IP addresses, domain names, network and host artifacts, tools, and TTPs. And as you go from bottom to top, basically it's showing you what from easiest to hardest, um, the amount of work that a threat actor will have to undergo if you can detect and stop these different indicators of compromise. Mm. Now, does an attacker go? Does it? Does an attacker necessarily start on the bottom, or do they? Do they start in the middle? I mean, where does? Where do we normally see attackers come in? Do they normally try to hit us at the lowest common denominator, or they try to start at the top, or really it just it depends. It could be any one of these steps. Well, attackers aren't going to come in at any one of these levels. You're going to see all of these as part of an attack, right? So gotcha. say there's a successful uh, ransomware attack. We'll, we'll continue to use that one. You're going to see hash values for the ransomware. <clears throat> You're going to see IP addresses uh, and domain names likely for C2. <clears throat> You're going to see your uh, network uh, and host artifacts and also the, the tools used, right? The actual malware or maybe some some other type of tools that they use to maybe bypass your antivirus or or scrape credentials, um, you know, off of off of a system. And then at the very top, which is where we talk about minor attack, it's all of the TTPs. So 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 yeah. So I so I'm kind of following you now. So so by using those three models together and understanding who the attacker is what some of their objectives are, who they like to attack, so what their tool sets are, I can start building me a mechanism with which to try and, and, and prevent those attacks because I can I can block a hash value easily, but the the hacker can open that ha that hash up, make a change to it, 
save it as a new hash. So now now they're around that hash. I can block a suite of IP addresses. I can say block all of um, you know South America, yeah. and then the 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 attacker can say, well, let me just VPN into Europe and then attack you, right? So so they can change their IP address. I, I can say block a domain name. It's all the EDUs in the world, right? I block all the EDUs, but then they say, well, that's fine. Cool, I'm going to come from a .com um, and so on and so forth. Those, it's getting it, higher I go up in this little um, pyramid of pain, the more difficult it is for them to change what they're utilizing. So when you get up to tools, mm. you know, hey – Developing a new tool is not something you just crank out, right? right? So if I know the tool sets they're using and I'm building up um, a plan and uh, a procedure of my own with which to stop that tool from being effective within my environment, that's harder for the the, the uh, attacker to go out there and, and change. Uh, and then all the way up to TTPs, um, they can't just change their typical procedures as quickly as as i can help in advance prevent it correct right so so if we go back so all these have to be done together eh, i mean you you want to get as high in the pyramid as possible right because that's what's toughest for the attackers to change so if we go back to the beginning of this podcast where we talked about the types of cti first one that we talked about was tactical right and one of that one of the um examples that i brought up was you get some intel it tells you about these ip addresses or domain right. names that were used right or, or or maybe hashes if i go and put blocks in those for those traditional iocs the attacker can relatively easily just change those and still get by. Mm. If I can get higher up into that that chain, right? Again, the the operational um, uh, CTI, right? Where I'm ta- I'm focusing on TTPs and I'm disseminating that to my SOC teams and my vulnerability management teams, and I'm putting in detection and protection pieces to stop them at the tool level or the TTP level, that's much harder for the um, threat actor because at that point they have to change their capabilities. Sure. Right. And that takes time and that takes resources. um, And sometimes it's, eh, it's not worth it for them. Right. In some cases it is right. If, if you're talking about it, uh, the threat actor is a nation state or something like that. They'll take the time to invest and, and come up with new TTPs or come up with new tools. But a lot of times attackers are just using the, their same bag of tricks. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the pyramid of the pain, a pyramid of pain and, and kind of why, um, threat analysts and hunters use these different frameworks and models, right? So we can start securing ourselves using this and trying to get higher and higher on that pyramid to hopefully frustrate the attackers and yeah, it's not worth it. And, 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 and dare I say, if you look at this pyramid of pain 
as you go upward, I also see that there is more investment from our side needed to stop at each level, basically. So at minimal, we need an X-Gen firewall that can block, you know, hashes and IP addresses and domain names, right? So at minimal, I need that, but, and and that's a cost, right? So that's not just a firewall that I'm blocking port 80. That's a firewall that says, I see port 80 coming in. I also see it's coming in from these places. I see that it's doing these things. And then when you get into network host artifacts and tools and TTPs, at each level you go up, you're investing more into your, your cybersecurity world. So, so it's a good model to look at as you talk, start getting that buy-in, which is where yep. I was going with this, from your, your C-suite, right? So you, you say, at what level of comfort do we have with our data and with our, our um, attack vector? So we, we are a something we are we're in education and we know certain people attack education and use these certain tools do we have the means with which to be proactive about today's measures much less tomorrow's right so so today do we have the knowledge and the breath and the skills to prevent what's going on today and then how much do you want to invest so it can help at least minimize the chance of tomorrow's as well right that's how they all tie together. Wow, that's that's this is a good pyramid that kind of brings it all together. Yeah, it's definitely a layered approach. Or we could just make all of our passwords the word incorrect, and if you type it in wrong, it tells you what your password is. Your password is incorrect. Never mind. You're, you're a genius. <laughs> no, this has been a lot of good information, and I think this is the least I've ever talked on a podcast, so this is uh, a lot to digest. Definitely some good information. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, Michael, yeah, no uh, and we still have more to go here, so this this series will continue. Yeah. Uh, one quick thing that I wanted to mention regarding the links <clears throat> that'll be in the, the show notes and on the on the YouTube description, um, we did include links to MITRE ATT&CK, so if you want to go play around in there, you can. I also included links to the PDFs, like the original PDFs for the Diamond model Good. and the um, Cyber Kill Chain by Lockheed Martin. So if you want to read up and really kind of nerd out on any of those, uh, you know, uh, feel welcome to do so. And then I included two links um, that really, I I think are great resources. Um, They're links to uh, a blog by uh, Katie Nichols. Uh, She's a, I think a director of um, threat intelligence for, for Red Canary. Um, Super, super smart, um, and and really very selfless in, in these uh, two documents, or sorry, these two uh, blogs that, that she put out. It's basically like a, a CTI self-study plan um, where she includes a ton of different links uh, to webinars, white papers, you name it, on, on things that you can learn about CTI. Uh, really invaluable, like treasure trove of uh, resources. So that's that's going to be there as well if you want to read more. Cool. All right, awesome. guys. Well, I think this is going to wrap up um, the, the today's podcast. Um, as always, you can find us on Anchor FM, uh, Spotify, the Apple um, Podcast Store. Just search for um, search for Venue Solutions Podcast. We're also going to be available on the Venue website. So if you go to Venue.com slash podcasts with an S, you'll be able to find us there. And that's where I'll have links um, 
you know, to all of the, the, the websites mentioned on today's podcast, uh, links to PDFs and so on and so forth will be on that site, as well as on the YouTube channel in the description for, for the podcast. So uh, you can always send us an email, podcast at venue.com. That goes to the three of us. Um, you know, we'd love to have maybe special guests on. Maybe there's a topic that you'd like to discuss or have us discuss. Please send us an email and we can, um, we can work that into our schedule. Great. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the next podcast. Thanks, guys. It was fun.